0: And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever." They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. And our sermon lesson is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Our good father, our, our prayer is simply that of your beloved son who said, Father, glorify your name. And it is in his special name that we pray. Amen. So last week, we, we started this new series where we are looking at this old prayer that Jesus taught His disciples commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And it's a prayer that has played a massive role in the life of God's people over the centuries. And it's a prayer that we ourselves, week in and week out, pray together as a church family. And as I said last week, there are two main reasons why we are starting off this new year looking at this prayer. First, when you think about our connection with God and growing in that closeness and growing in maturity, one of the key practices that God has given for that growth is prayer. You could even say, make an argument that prayer is the most important practice that God has given for that kind of closeness and that kind of growth. And the Lord's prayer is Jesus simply looking at us and saying, This is the way. But second, the new year tends to be a time where we reflect on our lives in a way that we don't tend to at other points in the year. It's a time where we tend to look back on where we have been. It's a time where we tend to look forward and ask questions about where we want to go and we reflect on some of the deeper questions in life, like what is really important and what do I want to give my life to? And, and this prayer that, that Jesus gives us is not just a prayer that is meant to enrich our lives. It's a, it's a prayer that is meant to reshape completely our perspective on what life is about and how we are to live the lives that we have given us. And in this prayer, God is saying to us, this is who you are. This is what life is about. This is what you were made for. So this is not just a prayer that we pray. This is a prayer that we live. And so last week we started with the foundation of this prayer in these simple words, our Father in heaven. And here we're getting to the very heart of the gospel that the Christian life starts from this place of security. It starts from a place of being loved and welcomed and accepted because of the work and person of Jesus Himself. It does not start out of a place of angst, of saying, what can I do in order to have a good place in God's heart and God's mind? But it starts out of a place of security. And so when Jesus lays this foundation at the very beginning, He's pointing us to what we are to build our lives upon. And we spent all of last week grounding ourselves more deeply in that reality of being His beloved children. And this morning, we're moving on to the main content of this prayer. And there are six different requests that are being made that we're going to look at one by one and ask the question, not only how do they pull us in closer to God's heart and mature us, but also how do they reshape what we think life is all about and how, how we live. And our focus today is, is probably on the, the one that is the most likely to be un, misunderstood out of all the requests, and that is, hallowed be your name. So in the, in the movie, The Princess Bride, there's this character named uh, Vicini, and he's this excitable Italian, and whenever he gets excited or surprised by something, do you remember what he says? inconceivable. And he keeps saying it over and over again until one of his companions comes up to him and says, he says, you keep using that word. Um, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, Hallowed is, is kind of like that. Um, we say it week in and week out, but I'm not sure that it, thinks, it, it means exactly what we think it means. When we pray, Hallowed be your name, we're not making a statement. We're not saying something about God. We're actually making a request. We're asking God to do something. We're asking God to work in a particular way. And so in trying to gain clarity on what exactly we are asking for God to do in this first petition, there are, there are two sides of it that I really want us to focus on this morning. First, we are praying that God would be seen for who He really is. And second we are praying that God would be treated as He really deserves. So, hallowed be your name, that God would be seen for who He really is, and that God would be treated like He really deserves. So let's start with the first part, that that God would be seen for who He really is. Um, Many of you are familiar with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist in the 1900s, and he studied human behavior and he came up with this description of, of, of the basic human needs and their level of importance by using somewhat of, of a pyramid and a triangle so that the most fundamental and foundational and most important needs are at the very bottom and you build upon that so you want to make sure that you have these bottom needs met and build your way up. So at the very bottom, you have the the physiological needs, that is the needs of the body. We need food, we need water, we need oxygen, uh, we need health, and then it builds up from there. So we need safety, we need belonging and love, we need esteem, and and so on and so on. And it's giving us a picture of a hierarchy of, of human needs. In in Jesus giving us this prayer, he himself is giving us a kind of hierarchy of human needs as well. But he's not speaking about humanity and human needs as just a student of humanity and as an astute observer of it. He's giving a hierarchy of our needs based on his own design of humanity based on his role as an architect, saying this is how I have made these people. And so, as we, as we saw last week, the foundation place of this hierarchy of needs is living out of this secure place in God's family as beloved daughters, beloved sons. But then when we move on to this first request, hallowed be your name, what we find is, is something surprising happens. Our most basic needs for daily bread or for protection or health, those don't come until later. That's often where we start. We start out of this place of of, this is what I need. God, would you help? But Jesus kind of, of flips our expectations of what our needs are upside down, and he takes us in a very different direction the first 3 requests that we run into are not focused on us and so right from the start this prayer that Jesus teaches us has a kind of disruptive and decentering power and that's how it was designed a disruptive and decentering power from the very beginning because Jesus is looking at our tendency to narrow in and focus around just on our own individual lives. And what he is saying in this is you were meant for more. You were made for more, for something much bigger. As one author puts it, we simply were not constructed to live only for ourselves We were placed on earth to be part of something bigger than the narrow borders of our own survival and our own little definition of happiness. To live only for yourself is to rob yourself of your own humanity. So here at the very beginning, Jesus is pulling us into a much bigger story where he says, you actually are not the center. And that's a good thing. There is someone else who is at the center that is actually going to be the source of life and peace and joy. And here when we think about breaking this up, hallowed be your name, and we come to this word name, we need to understand that God's name and who God is are not two different things. It's just one of the ways the scripture describes God differently. And so the name of God and God are interchangeable. We see this in the Psalms. May the Lord answer you. May the name of God protect you. Sing praises to the Lord. Give thanks to His holy name. It is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praise to your name. So when we are talking here about God's name and it being hallowed, we're talking about God Himself and something we are asking God to do about Himself. Um, But what exactly is hallowed? When, When we're using that word, what are we exactly referring to? And it's tempting here because it sounds like a big word that to think that Jesus is just using a kind of religious speak and maybe that's how religion works is it's just this collection of big words that are kind of difficult to understand because they represent big concepts and, and Jesus is just being kind of a high and lofty in his presentation here. But this is street language that Jesus is using. There, there is a, a cultural and language and time gap that pulls us away. But this is a prayer that His disciples would have understood right away. It would have been very accessible. And that's how Jesus works. That's His heart. To make things accessible. To make it real to us. And the word hallowed, what it is, is it, it's, a, it's the verb form of the word holy. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word holy, but the biblical picture of the word holy is when some, something or someone is set apart. It's set apart as distinct, as different, as separate, as special. And so when you are asking something to be hallowed, you're saying would would this whatever it is, would it be set apart? Would it be distinct? Would it be seen as special? Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. When when we are asking that God's name would be hallowed, we are not asking that God would become more holy than he already is. This is not a prayer for God to become better or different than he is. That's not what Jesus is saying, and that's not actually even possible. It, It has less to do with what is happening in God and more to do with what is happening in us in our world, what we are praying is that God Himself would be seen more clearly as holy, that He would be seen more clearly for who He really is all the time. When I was in fifth grade, my class took a trip to Washington, D.C., and when we were there, we saw all the different museums. And one of the things we, we saw there was the, the Hope Diamond. And the Hope Diamond, uh, if you've never seen it or researched it, it it's a 45-carat diamond um, that uh, is beautifully cut and has been worn uh, by such royalty as Louis XIV. Um, it's valued at uh, over 300 million dollars. Diamond is, is a big deal. And as an 11-year-old walking through that, I remember walking by this exhibit and being completely unimpressed. <laughs> um, it looked like it was just a big, shiny rock. And I think me and my friends were thinking about the gift shop. We had some cash that was burning, and there's all sorts of trinkets that, and candy that you could get. And so it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I, didn't, I wasn't able to see its value, and I don't know if that really changed until I was looking to get engaged (laughs) and began looking at diamond rings and seeing how much uh, a half carat or a quarter carat or three quarters or one carat diamond was really worth, and then I began to think back about a 45 carat diamond, and all of a sudden, I began to see that in a new light. I began to see, oh, this is really valuable. This is is a lot nicer, a lot more expensive, and a lot more precious than I was able to see at the time. When we're praying, hallowed be your name, we're not praying that, that God would become more valuable. What we're praying is that we and others would have eyes to see just how valuable he really is. That her eyes would be more open. And I want you to think about what's happening in the New Testament lesson that Ashley read just a moment ago. Because here it's it's from the book of Revelation, and here you're getting pictures of, of, of the end. And what we're getting is we're getting windows into this, this heavenly gathering. And, and what we see is striking. So here we see this, this mixture of human of humans and heavenly beings that are around God's throne and they are seeing Him with unclouded eyes. They're not seeing Him by faith, they're seeing Him by sight. They're able to grasp in a new way, this is who God really is, in a way that we cannot see right now. And I want you to notice their response. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you, valuable are you, deserving are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You are holy, that is, you are set apart, you are distinct, you are special. There is none like you, and you are deserving of all of our trust, of all of our worship, of all of our adoration, of all of our love, of all of our loyalty. And it's safe to say in that picture that that no one is there under compulsion. No one's dragged into this worship service and no one is looking for a way to get out. Um, Nobody is saying, well, I guess this is what I should be doing. What we're seeing is a natural chain reaction of seeing God for who he really is and then a response of wonder and adoration and awe. So that's the first part of what we're praying in this prayer. Hallowed be your name. That God would be seen more clearly in us, in our family members, in our neighbors, in our community and around the world. This is the heartbeat of missionaries around the world. It is that God might be seen with new eyes, by new people for who he really is. And it's our hope as well. That's the first part of it. And that brings us to the second part of this prayer, not only that we would just see him for who he really is, but that he would be treated like he really deserves. So in the late 1800s, Vincent van Gogh painted uh, one of his uh, most beautiful works of art called Sunflowers. It's a beautiful painting. Uh, You have a vase of sunflowers and he only uses three shades of yellow to complete this painting. And it's valuable today. So if you sold this painting today, if it went on auction, it would go for hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I want you to think for a moment that um, you are given this painting to have in your home for a month. What kind of treatment would this painting get from you? Uh, Where might you put it? How would you treat it differently maybe than a picture uh, of your family or of your pets or of a football game? Um, I would imagine that it would, it would get a somewhat more of a special treatment, that there would be a, a kind of a sense of awe of like, we need to handle this with care. How we treat this is very important because this is very valuable and this is very precious. A few weeks ago, you may have seen it on the news, there was a group of activists who were who wanted to make a statement and they—they they, what they did was they splashed a whole can of, of tomato soup just on this historic and priceless piece of art. And as you can imagine, it, it created a, a, a wild storm of uproar among not only just art lovers, but also uh, around the world. It's easy for us to think that sin is kind of like just breaking of rules, that God set up just these kind of random arbitrary rules and And sin is kind of when we break one of those. But that's not the picture that we get throughout Scripture. What we see is sin is something much more personal. Sin is taking something of priceless value and treating it like it's trash. It's saying to God, I don't think you're worth listening to. I don't think you're worth loving. I don't think you're worth trusting. And I don't think you're worth following. We could even ask the question, what would would happen if this God came and lived among us? If this God came and lived among us, what kind of treatment should he expect from those that he created out of fullness and out of love? Uh, This is a question that we don't have to wonder what the answer is, because we already know. Um, We didn't just throw tomato soup on God when He came. Um, We beat Him to a pulp. We nailed Him to a cross. And we waited while He suffocated and died. We watched Him mercilessly struggle for life. But this is where the Gospel even here becomes more powerful. Because humanity's attempt to pour the ultimate shame on God and and our attempt to kind of defeat and be free of Him was actually the very means by which He would more fully display His beauty, His worth, His glory, His grace, His power. So that what we see on the cross is not a tyrannical, power-hungry God who is just trying to get us in our place, and use us for our own gain, but we have on the cross a picture of God in the fullness of His self giving love, where we heap out shame, and that is the very vehicle by which we see the glory of His grace and His victory displayed for all. If you go all the way back to the garden and you look at Satan's original strategy, its basic message is not that complicated. It's just that God's really not that good. He's not that valuable. He's not really worth trusting. He's really not worth following. He's not worth giving your love or your loyalty. And really, you should go and do life on your own terms. And I want you to listen to how C.S. Lewis describes this fallout of humanity treating God so differently than what he really deserves. He says, out of this hopeless attempt, and our our attempt to look all sorts of other places for what can only be found in God, he says this attempt, hopeless, has come nearly all has out of this has come nearly all that we call human misery, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And the reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not properly run on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on Himself. He Himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. This prayer, Hallowed be Your name, is Jesus showing us the way back home. It's recentering us on a a secure hope. In our broken lives, in our broken world, for, for those who know, don't know God and those who do, one of the most, perhaps the most loving prayer that, that we can pray is God, would your name be hallowed? In other words, God, in, in us, in our neighbors around the world, would you be loved? Would you be trusted? Would you be treasured? Would you be valued? Would you be honored? Would you be followed? Would you be revered? Would you be respected? Would you be worshipped? Would you be delighted in? Would you be obeyed? Would you be highly esteemed? Would you be adored? Would you be marveled at? Would you be thanked and praised? Would you be seen for who you really are? And would you be treated like you really deserve? Hallowed be Your name. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the glory that we see clearly in the life and death and resurrection in Your Son. Our Savior. And in Him, we get a a more clear picture of who You are for us. Lord, would You hallow Your name in our hearts. Would You hallow Your name in our church. Would you hallow your name in our community and in our neighbors and our coworkers. And would you hallow your name in our world that all might see you for who you really are and give you the honor and love and worship that you deserve. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.